In Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, we encounter the reality that the gospel story has the power to transform every single aspect of our story. And that's exactly what we were made for. This is Ephesians, and we're Mercy Village Church in Barbersville, West Virginia. And you can learn more at www.mercyvillage.church. So uh, Will Smith walked on stage at the Oscars and last this week and slapped Chris Rock in the face. That happened. If you didn't know about that, praise the Lord, you're probably living right. That's good. Uh, I need pointers because I would love to have not known all about that. But that happened. But what's great and beautiful about it is that after it happened, right, like all of society, uh, social media influencers, the, the supposed experts that be, the other stars that were there, all arrived at this very unified conclusion, uh, interpreting the events that had happened all in the same exact way. And, and that was just good to see that, that type of unity. Of course, I'm lying. That's not what happened. Instantaneously, there were dozens upon dozens of different viewpoints, psychological analysis, uh, love, uh, that was his love for his wife. Everybody had an opinion about the whole thing, right? And some of them actually contradicted others, believe it or not, right? Listen, I say that because it's just this very poignant and very recent example of how society defines things in a million different ways. And love is no different. The world around us defines love in a million different ways, and sometimes those definitions actually conflict with each other. Sometimes they can't stand next to each other and actually be definitions of the same thing. So whose definition are we going to go with, right? Like when we come to defining what love is, how will we do that? Will we look to maybe pop culture, hit movies, hit songs, the artists who have produced those movies or those songs, maybe, right, media outlets, that's a good place to go to find out about love, right? Like CNN and Fox News are really hitting it out of the park when it comes to love, right? So like, you know, are, is that where we're going to get our, our definition from? Uh, maybe social media influencers, you know, on and on we could go. The point of today, right, these verses, above everything else, is that one of the most important lessons for every age is that true love is defined and displayed by God. True love is defined and displayed by God, and only true love is true love. That's an exclusive statement. I get it. It's going to get worse, unfortunately. I got to preach what's in front of us. Only true love is true love. And true love is is the way. This is what I would call a fountainhead truth in scripture. There's a lot of things that flow downhill from this truth. This is one of the big ones. Who gets to define the terms? Is it the famous preacher or the your preacher? Is it the culture? Is it some uh, person from your life who's a, a, you would consider a, a godly person? Or is it the word of God in the life of Jesus? Like as you'll see, and we'll get into it, 
in this passage, it's not even my word that you should take. In fact, you should be suspicious at some level, right? Of just taking any human person's view and defining what love is. And this is a fountainhead truth. Nothing about what's about to come in, in Ephesians 5 has this primary purpose of throwing shade on what other people call true. That's not the primary purpose. It will do that in the same sense, right? That if you're maybe following a trail somewhere and you have a disagreement with somebody about which way you should go and you are adamantly convinced that this is the right way, you can do that in a way that's loving and kind and displays the truth but shows, right, we're going to go this, this direction. And in that sense, there is, it's unavoidable that other definitions of love and other definitions of truth will be exposed as false. But that's not what it is. This isn't about picket signs and, and boycotts. This is about us as the people of God receiving something good and glorious and from God that actually enables, right, the flourishing of His people. That's what this is about. True love is defined and displayed by God. And only true love is true love. And true love is the, is the way. So Father, today what we know not, please teach us. What we are not, please make us. And what we have not, please give us. May we leave here with what you have for us, not what I have for us. Not what anybody here has brought in as their, their uh, thoughts on any of this. May we leave what you have for us. In spite of me, may we leave with what you have for us. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Paul starts very clearly saying, love is the way. Verse 1, he says, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Therefore, based on all that's come before, being rooted and grounded in love. All these realities about the gospel. Therefore, based on all of that, be imitators of God as beloved children. I love that. If you've had your kids, right, they'll put mom or dad's shoes on and kind of walk around the house, right? Maybe you should draw, you could draw, because obviously God has a beard and a mustache. I mean, why wouldn't he? So like maybe draw a beard on your face, and right? Like be imitators. That's it. Mimicking God. That's what we're called to do. Be imitators. Our Father is the fountainhead of both character and existence that we should imitate. Mimic. Walk in that. And Paul focuses us further by saying, if you want to mimic God, like what's the, what is that going to look like in its essence? If you're mimicking God, what's it going to look like in its essence? And, and he says in verse 2, walk in love. You want to look like God? Walk in love. And he begins to define what love is. And that's important because he says love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. He doesn't leave the word undefined for us. Walk in love. And what's love? Self-sacrifice. Self-sacrifice is love. Listen, Will Smith, later when he accepted his Oscar, somehow he was still allowed to do that, said, uh, uh, Love will make you do crazy things. It almost sounded like maybe he was trying to make an excuse for what he'd done. I don't know. He's kind of tying it into uh, the William sister movie that he made. But, but love will 
Right? His application was wrong, in my opinion. But the words are true. Love will make you do crazy things. And what's crazy is self-sacrifice. What's crazy is giving up of yourself for the glory of God and the good of others. That's what love looks like. It's Jesus in the garden saying, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. I don't want to do this. This is insane. I, I know we made this plan in eternity past, but huh, I'm sweating now. But whatever it takes, your will be done. Self-sacrificing love. And this is where it gets a little sticky because in this context, right, the next three verses in particular are going to show us that it's just not heroic self-sacrifice that gets you like, you know, on a viral video. Like you pull somebody out from in front of a, a car or something. But it's actually the self-sacrificing of things that are actually very dear to you. It's self-sacrificing the throne of your heart. Right? Jesus isn't just our Savior. He's our Lord. Jesus isn't just the one who rescued us. He's our King. And the, the gist of this whole thing, and if you could, could leave, if I could just like supplant something in your brains and in your souls, which I can't, the Holy Spirit can, I've been praying that He would, it would be that, that this is a fountainhead truth that God, right, loves you and His plans are best. That Jesus is a worthy king. And he's a good king. And his plans for us are actually for human flourishing, not the opposite. He's a good king. So God says, rooted and grounded in love, live lives of self-sacrificing love. That smells sweet in the nostrils of God, right? That echoes back to... Um, the tabernacle in the Old Testament where they would have this uh, altar of incense and they would uh, offer sweet-smelling things. And it was said that aroma would be pleasing to God when we live lives of, of selfless love, self-sacrificing love. It's sweet in the nostrils of God. But selfless is where things get difficult to embrace because this is more of a gritty, mundane, deeply personal self-sacrifice. This is the throne room of your life self-sacrifice, and he gets pretty personal the next three verses because he's going to show us that self-sacrifice touches our sexual pursuits. Self-sacrifice touches our speech. Self-sacrifice touches our deepest desires. And when you talk about releasing those things, right, it gets a little sticky. God defines the way of love, verses 3 through 10. Verse 3, here's where he starts. Just jump right in, right? Like, just dive in, Paul. Like, why build up to it when we can start with sexual immorality? Why, why go, you know, why go in reverse? Why crescendo? Let's just start with sexual immorality. That'll be fun. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Oh, man, here come we got to talk about sex. Listen, here's the point. That word pornea, that's like a Greek word for sexual immorality. Thankfully for us today, because it helps us 
see what Paul's really getting at, which is the fountainhead truth, is a junk drawer word for everything that is out of step with God's good design for human flourishing. In the sexual realm, everything that's out of step with God's good design for human flourishing, that is junk drawered into pornea. So this doesn't get specific about any of the hot-button issues in society right now. We don't have to talk about transgender bathrooms this morning. We don't have to talk about the LGBTQ plus community this morning. We don't have to go there into those places. Here's the point, though. It's not out of fear that we avoid that, but it's out of getting to this fountainhead issue is far more important than getting off in the weeds of all the details about what does God say about this and what does God say about that? And he has plenty to say about all of those things. But today's point is, are you willing to believe he's a good king? Are you willing to believe that his definition of love is the right definition of love? That's at the fountainhead. Everything else flows down from that. Right? Everything else without that is just moral uh, uh, compliance. It's just behavioral change. We've got to get the first thing right. And the first thing is that if God is who He says He is, then His opinion about what truth is is the right opinion about what truth is. And His truth is love. His truth is loving. So in the area of sex, are you willing... I said that real loud. Sex... Hoping the kids hear that. Are you willing, right, to submit that to a good king? Do you believe that he's a good king? Do you believe that where your opinions and your thoughts and your feelings butt up against what he says about sex, that not only is he right, gotcha, I'm right, that's not his posture. His posture is this is the way to flourishing. This is the way to goodness. This is the way to joy. This is the way to hope. Are you, are you ready to believe that? Everything else flows downhill from that. Tim Keller has this great way of talking with people. He was a pastor in New York. And he constantly would have people come up to him after services there. Pretty big church. Say to him, um, I've come a few weeks and I've enjoyed hearing the teaching and the singing and the welcoming of the people here. But what I got to know before I commit to doing this long term is what do you think about A, B, or C? Tim Keller would respond saying, listen, I'm not being evasive here, but I want to ask you a question. And then he would say something like, do you believe that this is the word of God without error? Do you believe that Jesus is the son of God and, and that what he says about life is worth us giving our lives over to? And if they said no, he'd simply say, well, then we're going to disagree about a, a lot of things. And if they said yes, then he'd say, hey, then we're going to get there. Right? If you really believe that, then we're going to get there and you're ready to walk. Right? Because it goes to speech next. Right? You're not seeing anybody like picketing 
Disney or boycotting Disney because they promoted gossip in their movies, right? Like Fox News has become obsessed with Disney lately because of their sexual stuff. Their stuff about gender. Hopefully you guys aren't, you know, surfing all the news media like I am. But speech comes into this too. That's what he says next in verse 4. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. He gets a little bit more specific, but not much. This still is not hyper-specific. Last week in verse uh, in chapter 4, verse 29, he said corrupt, let no corrupt talk. That was really general. Now he moves into words that have to do with obscene, and nonsensical and vulgar jesting, but it's still not specific, right? Like it doesn't say no more. That's what she said. Jokes. If it did, I'd be in big trouble, right? But here's the question. If under faithful study, the word of God. Submission to the Holy Spirit. Walking in step with him. I come to a place where I'm deeply convicted that I shouldn't be telling those jokes anymore. I'm willing to believe that that's God desiring what's best for me. Right? Like that's the question. Forget about the specific. Don't forget about the specific behaviors, but put them downstream from is God a good king? And are his plans best? And is what he desires his way, the way of Jesus is that for human flourishing? You got to decide that before you get into the weeds of any of the other stuff. Otherwise, right? If it's something that you are, you know, it's a part of your family heritage and part of how you were brought up to kind of, you know, look down on certain people, then you'll just bolster yourself up and be prideful and rude and an absolute jerk, right? That's how Westboro Baptist Church ends up down at, you know, Marshall University however many years ago, marching around with their signs that say God hates fags, right? Like that's where people get. We'll cut that out of the sermon audio. Listen, but that, right? Because there's no love in their hearts, right? None. Because they're, they're just being political. They're just being angsty. When you arrive at your position, if you don't believe that it's for the sake of human flourishing, love dies. You're not going to change the way you talk. If you don't believe that it's for your good and for the good of others. You're going to change your thoughts about sex if you don't think it's for the good of yourself and for the good of others. Unless you think it's going to get you power or control or some you know political influence. That's another reason why people do that. But that's a that's a. What word can I use? That's a terrible reason. A very terrible reason. Are you willing to submit your speech? And he gives you something to replace it with, by the way. Last week he said, instead of corrupt communication, do stuff that builds people up, that gives grace to the hearer, that is right for the occasion. Today he says, do stuff that, that is thankful, that shows thankfulness. By the way, if you set your compass by those things, by the positive things, you'll grow in this area. You don't necessarily need to spend your time thinking about what not to say, but instead, if you think about, is this going to build up? Is this going to give grace to the hearer? Is this going to display thankfulness? Is it the right time to say what I'm saying? Leaps and bounds of growth will follow those things there. Do you believe that God is who he says he is? And if he is, do you believe that his opinion on speech is truth? 
and that it's not just truth, but it's love. And then lastly, he talks about our deepest desires in his list of of three things in verse 5. He says, for you can be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral, we already talked about that, that was fun, or impure, or who is covetous, he leaves out, you know, speech in his sum up, but it's implied, or who is covetous, and then he helps us by defining it, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. He's talking about our deepest desires. He's talking about what we long for the most. Let me get at what he means with this question. What do you desire in your life right now? What do you want? Maybe you're greedy for it. Maybe that's an overstatement. Maybe you're not greedy for it, but you're, you're hungry for it or you're kind of shopping around for it. You think about having it. And it might not just be stuff. It might be a situation or a circumstance that you want to, to find yourself in, a career place. What, what is it that you want and wittingly or unwittingly underneath that desire, is it because you think it can give you something that Jesus hasn't given you or won't give you? Right? That's idolatry. Idolatry takes created things and treats them as if they can do what only the Creator can do. So what are your deepest desires? What is it you're longing for and you need to have? And then do the hard work of peeling back the onion of your motives. Why do you want it? Will you still be satisfied if you don't have it? Can life still be good without it? Is Jesus enough regardless of whether you get there or get that? That's idolatry. And man, he cranks it up to 11. Verse 5 again, we'll read it again. He says, For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ in God. That's scary. Let me help temper our fears, by the way. A verse like this exists in the context of all Scripture. There are sometimes things that are stated in such uh, a, a way as this because what is also said about them is obvious in other parts of Scripture. For instance, and here's what I mean. We are in a process as Christians, a sanctification process. That means that you're still going to mess up. You're still going to sin. Okay? So this isn't about like, did you say the wrong thing this week? If so, you're done. Sorry. This is about, is this your life? Is your life defined? then you should be afraid, right? Like if you can't quit gossip, like if you can't let go of gossip, right? Like if you're just clinging to gossip as a lifestyle, let's just, you know, you find some validation in that or whatever, so you're constantly, right? You should be afraid. If your life is marked by things that are out of step with with God's good design for human flourishing, and maybe people have even explained that to you, you intellectually grasp that it's out of step with God, and you continue to pursue those things and live in those things and enjoy those things and embrace those things, yeah, then this verse is for your fear today. 
But if you messed up this week, right? Like when I hurt my foot, I, I didn't, I wasn't super nice at all. And then when my people in my house had to stop, start like serving me and getting stuff for me, you know, like it's been easier for them to have a grizzly bear in the home, right? Am I out of the kingdom? I sure hope not. I did a lot of repenting this week. That's the sign you should look for. Are you repenting of those things? Are you seeking to grow? Right? Because that's the Holy Spirit at work in you, if so. If the Holy Spirit's at work in you, the kingdom is yours. But, but if not, then, then be afraid. You should be. So, Paul goes on, verse 6. He says, Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. He says, right, if God is who he says he is, if you believe that today, that's what you believe, that God is who he says he is, then what he says about everything in this life, it's true. And it's not just true, it's loving and it's for human flourishing. He says, don't then get it twisted, right? with what other people are saying. There's millions of voices out there, but only one speaks the truth. And that is the truth. The way, the truth, and the life. Jesus. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, triune God is the truth. What voices influence the state of your mind and the state of your soul? Right? Like, like there's some people, right? We as, we're supposed to live outward. In our lives, we can't just be around. Everybody we're around can't be Christian voices, right? That's impossible. But when you desire wisdom, when you desire understanding, when you desire clarity about something, who do you go to? For like that, what voices are influencing you in those places? Are they voices of people who deeply love Jesus? Or are they just voices of, of what I would call human wisdom, which isn't always wisdom? And second, so don't get twisted mind and soul. Like, don't be deceived by the voices that speak from this world, but also relationally, verses 7 and 8, he says, therefore do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Your life has changed, right? So not only be careful to who you're listening to for wisdom and understanding and clarity about life, but be careful who you saddle up with as you seek wisdom and clarity in life. And by the way, the people that you listen to most frequently will be the people you uh, walk with. And the people you walk with most frequently will become the people you talk like most frequently. And so, choose wisely who those relationships are. Again, might we be outward people? Everyone is well, should be welcome in our, our lives. You know, like it's not, this isn't exclusive, but when you go for wisdom and understanding, who do, you, who do you go to? Paul tells us where to go. The end of verse 8 and all of verse 10. Walk as children of light. Verse 10, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. I want to point us to the Bereans uh, in Acts chapter 17, verses 10 through 12, Paul and Silas go to a place called Thessalonica. They get ran out of town in the middle of the night. And the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away to a place called Berea. So they go there. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now, these Jews were more noble 
than those in Thessalonica. Imagine having to read that if you're one of the Jews from Thessalonica. Um, They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. They didn't check their minds at the door. They didn't say, oh, my favorite preacher says it or my favorite podcaster says it, so it's got to be true. Pastor Paul said it. God, God help us. It, I mean, get that out of your mind right now. Just out of, just because Pastor Paul said it. I'm an idiot. Like, I am an idiot. That's true. So search the Scriptures out like the Bereans did. They got in the Word of God. They sought to understand it and see what it was saying to make sure... Does that, it was mainly about the Messiah because they'd read Scripture a thousand times, right? And they hadn't seen Jesus in there, right? So it doesn't mean they didn't listen to Paul. They did. Paul says, have you thought about it this way? Go back to the Scripture. Look at it. See how it points in that direction? And so they did. And they searched diligently. They said, you're right, Paul. Jesus is in there. He is the Son of God. And they, and they believed. Countless ones of them believed. Not a few Greek women in high standing, as well as men, believed as well. Because they searched the Word. Don't take a preacher's word for it. Don't take someone that you consider a kind of a spiritual authority in your life. Don't take their word for it. Search it out against the Scripture. That saves you, right, from receiving opinions that are, that are false. And, and so search it out. In verse 9, which came in between, he says this, I love it. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. That's where flourishing is at. It's fruit. Like, like that's where the fruit is. It's where the goodness is. That's where life is. Taste and see that the Lord is good. What God says about sex and money, what God says about parenting, and what God says about marriage, and what God says about the way you speak, and what God says about your deepest desires is not Him trying to deprive you of something. It just isn't. If God is who He says He is, it can't be that. It has to be Him trying to give you something. Something good for you. You go to, to the psalmist, uh, Psalm uh, 34, verse 8. He says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. It's good. What God has for you is good. Oh, fear the Lord, you His saints. For those who fear Him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, right? Like even the, the top predator on the food chain, they get hungry sometimes, but not you. Those who seek the Lord... Lack no good thing. Now, it's not all rainbows and butterflies if you skip down to verse 19. Don't get that impression. He says, many are the afflictions of the righteous. Testify, right? Some of y'all, many are the afflictions of the righteous. But the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Chief example, Jesus on the cross, right? None of his bones were broken, literally. But figuratively, for us, we can know that to be true because we saw it literally in Christ on the cross, that, that He protects us, He looks after His children. Affliction will slay the w- wicked, but it ain't going to slay the people of God. We'll experience it, but it doesn't kill us. Those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of His servants. None of those who take refuge in Him will be condemned. God's trying to give you something. And every standard that He has for this life, He seeks human flourishing. If God is who He says He is, then He's, a king, he's our King and He's a good King. And everything He gives us in ways of instruction is for human 
flourishing. That is a truth that has to rise above so many other truths because there's so much that flows downhill from it. So how do we live? Verses 11 through 14, this is what Paul tells us. He says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. They ain't going to eat. There's no feasting in those pathways, so expose them. That kind of comes off like, you know, we're supposed to be pointing fingers, but that's not it. You've got to understand the context of Scripture, speak the truth in love, gentleness, lowliness. All those things interpret what we're reading right here. Instead, he's getting after something that, that Jesus said back in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5.14 when he said, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, children of God, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Right? It's not about picket signs or Facebook rants. That's not letting your light shine. It's not to gain power and influence. That's not why you let your light shine. It's not, I got you, sinner. That's not letting your light shine. Letting your light shine is living your life in such a way that you conform to the good king. Your ways are best, and I believe it, so I'm going to live in this way. And as you live in that way, right, it's a shining light for the world to see. That love is the way by God's definition. In verse 12, he says, For it is shameful even to speak of those things that they do in secret. Verse 13 But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Shine. People of God, shine. Like the way we speak, the way we think about every issue in this world, be shaped by the love of Christ. Might our deepest desires be shaped by the love of Christ. And might we shine that forth to others. So we're to walk in love. We're to walk in the light. But if you know yourself, you know that's not internally, right, like in you by yourself. I saw, again, this week, those things didn't just naturally bubble out of me this week. <laughs> light and love, like really just wasn't me. That's why we need Jesus. And that's where we close, is with Jesus. 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. You need love? In this, the love of God is made manifest among us. That God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, that He loved us and sent His Son to be a propitiation for our sins. That's love. Right? So, so the fact that you failed to self-generate love, not a problem. If you're in Christ. This is love. Not that we loved God, right? Like He wasn't like, oh man, they really love me. I better show up. He loved us. and gave Himself up. Propitiation is an appeasement, right? Appeasing uh, and, and, and putting us into favor with God. 
Because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross, God can smile at you instead of frowning at you. Because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross, right? God can welcome you into His kingdom instead of sending you into everlasting punishment because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross. If you're not a Christian, trust Jesus today. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You will be saved. If you have questions about what that looks like, I would love to talk to you about it. That is the only source of light and love in the world. That's how he finishes our passage today. He says, Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. It's the last part. Verse 14, Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Trust Jesus today. And if you're a Christian... I was talking to Sarah Beth. We were driving home from Cincinnati. What is it I want? Like, oh, if I could put it inside of him. I know I already said that. But I could put it inside of everybody, including myself. What would it be? And it would be this fountainhead truth. Is God good? Is He worthy of being your king? And if He is, do you receive His truth about anything? As love for the sake of human flourishing. That'll change your world, right? Because then when you come up against something that you're kind of like, I don't know if I agree with that, right? Then you can be like the Bereans and you can search out the scripture and say, does it really say that? Is that really what's being taught to me? And then when you come to the place where you're like, yeah, that is what that is what God's saying to me. That is the truth. Then you can say, well, I must be the one that's wrong. I must be the one that doesn't know what's good for me. I must be the one who doesn't know about human flourishing. And I can trust God in this, following his steps. So might we walk in true love? Love, the love of God for us, and then our love back towards God and towards others. I don't know what that looks like in your life individually. But might we receive the love of God, even in the truths that we struggle to digest. And then might we love God and love others in return. And living in line with Christ, the way of Christ is love. Might we believe that? True love is defined and displayed by God. And only true love is true love. True love is the way. Father, I can't even get it in my own heart enough to like live this way all the time, let alone help us to all see it. I pray you'd move in us. We'd believe it, that your ways are best. That we'd submit ourselves to your lordship, not out of fear, or at least not unhealthy fear, or out of grief, or, well, I guess I have to, begrudgingly, but instead, might we have hope eyes to see, spiritual eyes to see that your truth is love and that your ways are good. And might we follow you in your ways with confidence that that's where human flourishing is, that's where goodness is, that's where life is. In the name of Jesus, Thanks for listening. You can subscribe to this feed wherever you listen to podcasts. We exist to experience and embody redemption and renewal in Christ alone. And we'd love for you to experience what God is doing as Jesus builds Mercy Village Church. 
Connect with us online at www.mercyvillage.church.